The Wiz Kids had won it, Bobby Thompson had done it, and Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born, marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. All right, everybody. Welcome on back to Baseball History 101. As always, I'm Patrick DeVault. I'm joined by my good friend, Matt Carter. Hello. This week, we're going to try and keep it a little topical with um, our topic. With the Trevor Bauer suspension, we're going to cover the notable suspensions and bans throughout the history of baseball. And I guess we're going to start off with kind of our opinion. Because I'm not sure anybody really knows what to feel yet about Bauer. We're going to start with our opinion on his two-year ban with zero time served over his... um, And he missed 9,900 games already. Yeah. You know? A lot. Um. And as we all know, the guy was cleared by a criminal court of all charges against him, produced text messages. Somebody asked for rough intercourse and gave it to him. It's kind of what I'm seeing from the outside in. But like I said, it's his opinion. I wasn't there. I don't know the full details. And nobody but the court really does. Right. I don't want to get our, us in trouble if, if we misquote something or anything like that. That's why I'm giving that big disclaimer. Yeah. But um, what do you think about it, Matt? Well, this is a very um, touchy subject, not a very comfortable subject to talk about. And usually you try not to do that when it comes to baseball. Yeah, we like to keep it with baseball, but... Yeah, but I don't know. Well, he got suspended for two seasons, so that's like, what, 324 games? Um, 300 and... Yeah, 24 yeah, games with the game. They didn't, they didn't say two seasons, they said that many games. That many games. I guess the news made it seem like it was two seasons. Well, that equates to two full Quakes, baseball yeah. seasons. So, and um, I'm not sure if playoff games count that or not. So that's a good question. I don't know. But it's it basically is. the basically a death penalty. It, it's basically yeah. It's basically SMU SMU death penalty because they got banned big time. But that's a different. That, that if we had a college football podcast, we'd talk about that. But anyway, yeah, it's it's kind of tough. I don't really – I think two years is fairly long, especially if the court cleared him on charges. Compared to, let's say, Marcel Zuna for the Braves, who, you know, as we heard last year, did something very bad domestic violence-wise. and He was back by the end of the year. He was back by the – yeah. I mean, he's back this season. Yeah, he's right. He did, you know, Manfred didn't give him two seasons. I mean, they suspended him, but he didn't get two seasons or 324 games. So my big opinion on the Bauer part is that if he had dialed himself back a little bit on the Twitter machine, yeah, and running his running his uh, mouth against Ron, uh, Ron against Commissioner Mark Manfred, you know, and that's the guy by per the bylaws of the MLBA, MLBPA and the MLB's joint agreement. Which we had a little bit of an issue with this year. <laughs> yeah, I wish Bauer could have been involved to kind of maybe make it easier on himself. Maybe you know, but not really. But um, he been not as hard on the Twitter machine. 
the guy that makes the ultimate decision in cases like this is the commissioner. Yeah. And what he says goes. There's not a council. There's not a task force. It's what he thinks is fit. Right. You know, he lays down the law. So, of course, you're going to hammer the guy that talks all the trash about you. Right. You know, Ozuna was not talking trash about the commissioner on Twitter, as far as I know. He's like, I'm going to do what I need to do to get back to playing baseball. And that's what he did. You know. I mean, what he did was wrong, but he did what he had to do to get back to baseball. Mm-hmm. So. But my big hang up on this is what somebody supposedly did wrong. Right. Because there's, he's been cleared of criminal charges. They're brought against him, and they're like, we're not even touching this because there's not nothing here. Right. You know, criminally. And I'm not sure about civil suits or any of that. And Matthew told me right before we started recording that there might be another chick coming out. That has some allegations against them. But it, it's still alleged. Right. Again. And we, the key we, word here is alleged. We were not there. As far as I know, they didn't film it. If they did film it, it would probably worth be like a million dollars or something like that. That's a bad comment. But anyway. It'd be on a six-letter website tomorrow. Right. You know. But it's just. But think about Bauer's personality. You know, he's kind of a moody guy. Moody guy. He's outgoing, almost too outgoing. Yeah. He starts crap on Twitter. I remember years ago, he started crap with some random chick on Twitter. And, like, he didn't really stop. And she thought that he was harassing her. I wish I could find the story, but I remember like as clear as day that he was doing this. Like she said something that he did not like, and he went after her on Twitter. Yeah, he's one of those athletes that's not going to deal with bad comments, right? And like you know, my you man go, would never succeed in the New York media, right? And then you go back to like you know the days of UCLA when him and Garrett Cole were teammates in UCLA, and those two did not like each other at all. And Garrett Cole just make fun of him being a moody guy, and they still don't like each other. He's got a track history of being a weird cat. Yeah. I remember the whole drone thing? Oh, yeah. There's a guy I played ball with at AUM, and I hope he's listening. Um, he's a state trooper here in Alabama now. Yeah. Um, Spencer Yeomans. Um, I remember him when uh, Bauer was making his major league debut and stuff. We were on road trips. I got to watch this. I played college ball in Texas with this cat, you know, like mm-hmm. summer ball. Yeah. You know, and uh, he always spoke highly of him, you know. He, if I remember, he's kind of like, yeah, he's kind of a kind of a weirdo, but he's a hell of a ball player and a good dude, you know. So I kind of he's kind very, of feel for him in this situation a little bit. He's a great he's a great pitcher. I mean, he has the talent. You know, not everybody has talent to do that. But think about it this way: so we already talked about Trevor's personality. Let's flip the table. Let's say if somebody, let's say if this happened to somebody who has a very good reputation, or at least is a great image as a good guy. Let's say. As hypothetical, let's say that Mike Trout did this. Would Commissioner Manfred give him 324 games if Mike Trout did that? I haven't thought about that from Angle, and I'm willing to bet he wouldn't. I would agree with that. Because yeah. Mike Trout is a very community guy. I'm not saying Trevor has not been. Right. I'm not sure in depth of how many times he's been in the children's hospital and things like that. Right. You know? Some people like to keep that on the Or how many cancer kids he's brought to the ballpark. Mm-hmm. And things like that, and so I'm not, I'm not sure how much he's really done that. So there's some circumstances that might go into that, but with what I know, I don't think that would be what happened. No, because of how Mike Trout handles his social media presence. Right, he's over here plugging Oakley sunglasses and Marucci batting gloves or whatever he's sponsored by. You know, yeah, I mean he's pretty positive. You know, but it's a sad situation either way because. You know, 
it's kind of, it's embarrassing that your sex life is being brought out to the public like that. Well, same thing Tiger Woods went through. You don't want your sex life public. You want your private life to be private and your public life to be public. Right. You know. And I, I'm willing to bet it's a damn shock when your real life, when you're a person of that magnitude. Right. Hell, we got a podcast with 200 listeners. You know, like, yeah. that's, if our life came public, it wouldn't be as big of a deal if we were pitching baseballs on national television every night. Right. We're not going to make TMZ. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I just, you know, you try to separate the two. And then when you're in a situation where you feel like that this person consented, and supposedly she consented, but then she says differently, and then your sex life gets brought out to the public like that, then you're embarrassed. The good thing for him is that he kept the uh, text messages, DMs, whatever it was, and that, that, that kept him out of legal trouble. That's what you got to do these days, man. You got to take screenshots. Yeah. It's, um, but I think it's, I think it's Korean, and I think my man needs to pack a bag and go to Korea or Japan. Or play with Savannah Bananas, but they wouldn't have him. I don't think they would. No, because Jared Goals is not that outgoing, crazy guy. They like couldn't pay him what he's worth either. No, they, no, Disco can't afford to pay him, no. There's a guy <laughs> I played baseball with when I was at Columbus. Um, he was in AAA. He was bummed because he wanted to play for the Trash Pandas. Yeah. He was, he was my best friend when I was at Columbus. Me and him were both on the pitching staff. And he making more money in Korea because when COVID happened, they cut his contract. He was making more money in Korea than he was in AAA. Yeah. And, and he's was, making a happy medium between that and big league money. And Korea was still playing during COVID. Like, because I guess the cases... They bubbled it, I believe. Right. And the cases weren't as big as they were in the U.S. at the time. And ESPN started showing Korean baseball games on ESPN that the early part of 2020. I want a good chunk of money gambling on Korean baseball. Really? Yes. That's awesome. I don't know how I did it. So but I didn't have anything else to gamble on, so I fucking threw a few dollars on it. <laughs> so at this point, if he's going to keep in shape, his options are to go to Korea or somewhere else or start his own barnstorming team and then play the bananas every game. That'd be fun. Yeah, I'd be like, dude, you probably have the money to do this. but you gotta He could, find he could build his own party animals? Yeah, he could be his own party animals. He could be the Trevor party animals, you know. <laughs> I mean, or you got to do Here's something. the bananas and the bowel rallies. Yeah, Bananas and Bower Rouges. I like that. The Bower Rouges Baseball Club. That's, what, that's his Twitter handle, Bower Rouges. Yeah, Bower Rouges Barnstorming Baseball Club. That's what you can do. But right now, it's just not looking good for Trevor. And, well, you know. I think I think he got, to sum it up, I think he got an unfair shake. Yeah. But I think he kind of Donald Trumped himself. Mm-hmm. The things he said on Twitter caught up to him. Yeah. I mean, it's going to happen. You know. Now, he is appealing the suspension. But, again, we'll, we'll wait and see where that, yeah. where that goes. I think the appeal... If I'm not mistaken, the commissioner lays down the original law on the domestic violence policy. Yeah. And then it goes to a council. The most they'll do is probably cut it into three quarters or into a half. Yeah. He's not, I mean, it's still good. And um, if I'm him, I'm lobbying for time served because he missed a bunch. damn near 100 games. It was right. like 98, 100 games, 101 games before the suspension yeah. officially. You know, I mean, he can come work at Halsey, but he's not. We're not going to pay him what he's worth. Oh, he'd be a great keg keg booker guy for me. He's oh man, he could, yeah, he could go work for Alabama. That'd be great. Yeah, man, he can come to Birmingham and me. We'll just be roommates, me him and Sonya. And, he can, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, he can he can keep in shape that way. But look at all those kegs. There you go. Hey, I've never been in other than like prime college ball playing ball shape. I've never been better shape. My job keeps me in shape, picking up barrels, man. Yeah, I mean, you're still skinny as a rail. I mean, you know. With some muscle. 
You do have muscle. I'm deceptively strong. You're deceptively strong. Deceptively right. strong. Deceptively strong. Yes, the guys that work for me will tell you that. Yeah. But I guess we're done with Bauer. Let's uh yeah, let's move and on. And all y'all that know me know how skinny I am, so that's what Matt's talking about. Yeah. Um genetics. I'll blame it on that. <laughs> but um we're gonna so for this episode, it's gonna be the suspensions and whatnot. So we're gonna get into um some of the big ones. We're gonna start off I reckon with A guy that's been made in some movies. Oh, she was Joe Jackson. Mm-hmm. He was a left fielder for most of his career. Um, he had size the third highest career batting average in Major League history at 408, but it doesn't matter because of what he did. Mm-hmm. And y'all, y'all know we're coming at the, at the Black Sox scandal. Yeah. They lost the 1919 World Series to the Reds. And him and seven other players were accused of sex, accepting five grand each, which would be seventy-eight thousand a piece into twenty twenty-one dollars. Yeah, <laughs> to toss the series, and a uh, grand jury convened to investigate the allegations in nineteen twenty. Yep, um, his twelve base hits set a series record that was not broken until nineteen sixty-four. And I kind of think he might have got a bad rap in this whole deal too. Like he wanted to be in on it and he accepted the money, but he didn't want to. You know, he didn't want to lose either. Yeah. But um, and he led both teams with a three seventy-five BA batting average, um, no errors. He had an assist at the plate. Um, and he hit the only home run of the series. But yes, he did. Yeah. But the Reds hit an unusually high number of triples into left field. Yeah. And it's hard to hit a triple into left field. Yeah. Right field, you might be able to get away with that a little bit, you know. Yeah, depending on the ballparks where they played. Yeah, yeah, they were graveyards back then too. Right, you know, this is the dead ball era. So you're playing at Comiskey Park, and then you're playing at well, it wasn't called Crosley Field; it was called Redland Field, but it originally became Crosley Field in Cincinnati. So you know, they're deep outfields, and of course, Crosley Field has a terrace in left field, which you know, it, or it had, excuse me, had that terrace in left field where it's kind of like a little, little little hill go upwards, you know. But yeah, I mean, maybe there's suspect that. You know, defensively, he could have gotten some trip. He could have gotten some balls that worked that just didn't have to be triples. But think about it this way: like, in, you know, we can make a we can make an episode of the Blackhawks scandal in the future. But a big one, yeah. A lot of the so-called Black Sox did fairly well at the plate, better than some of the clean Sox. The, yeah, but the, they were defensively boxed and stuff. I yeah, like. I mean, you know. Like you know, Eddie Collins and Sweet uh, Eddie Collins and Ray Shaw, the two Hall of Famers on the team, they batted terribly in the series, and they were the clean socks. Dude, if somebody walked up to me right now at work and said, "I'll give you seventy-eight thousand dollars to botch this," I'd be like, "Especially if you have need- it, have it on my front porch when I get home." Right. If you need the money, you know, if you're desperate, you would take it. Dude, that's more than I make in a year. Right. By a good amount. By a decent yeah. amount, like yeah. Now his you know, to his credit, Shilas Joe tried to give the money back after. Yeah, the but you can't do it once it's done, man. Right? You know, he tried to give it to like Kaminsky and tried to tell him what happened, but Kaminsky just sent him away. And um, I didn't realize this was a quote, so I take back what I said about him kind of being not really in it. He said, and I quote: "In a nineteen twenty September twenty eighth, nineteen twenty, at a grand jury testimony." When a Cincinnati player would bat a ball out in my territory, I'd muff it if I could. That is, fail to catch it. But if it would look too much like I like crooked work to do that, 
I'd be slow and make a throw to the infield that would be short. My work netted the Cincinnati team several runs that they never would have had if we had been playing on the square. Right. You confessed to it, man. I mean, and um, it's not in the stenograph, but it does say that that precise quote does not appear in the stenographic record of his grand jury appearance. So right. that might be a little hearsay. Yeah. If y'all have been following the Johnny Depp trial, there's a lot of hearsay going on there. So this might be the same deal. <laughs> yeah. And in 21, a uh, Chicago jury acquitted him and his seven teammates of wrongdoing, but Kennesaw Mountain Land. Yeah. Um, the newly appointed commissioner imposed a lifetime ban on the uh, all eight players. Regardless of the verdict of juries, he declared, no player that throws a ball game, no player that undertakes or promises to throw a ball game, no player that sits in a conference with a bunch of crooked players and gamblers where the ways and means of throwing games are planned and discussed and does not promptly tell his club about it, will ever play professional baseball. Yep. And then after the jury returned its indictments, um, goes a guy named Charlie Owens of the Chicago Daily News, which I guess was the predecessor of the Tribune, if I had to guess. Yeah. He wrote a uh, regretful tribute headline, Say It Ain't So, Joe. And that, that's kind of, that stigma's kind of stuck with his name. Um, when Jackson left the criminal court building in the custody of a sheriff after telling a story to the grand jury, he found several hundred youngsters aged 6 to 16 just waiting to see him, you know. And I'd be like Mike McGuire when I was a kid and he had to go do the hearings for steroids. I'd have been one of them kids like, oh, it's Mark, you know. Um, but one child stepped up to the outfitter and grabbed his coat and he said, it ain't true, is it, Joe? Yes, kid, I'm afraid it is, he replied. And the boys opened a path for the ball player and stood in silence. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of kind of a bummer, man. Which I feel like we were kind of hoodwinked when we were kids. We were watching McGuire and Sosa and Canseco and all these guys hitting steroid bombs and then grow up and forgot. Oh, they were. Throw bombs in there, too. They were kind of mm-hmm. allegedly. Most, some of them, cheating. Yeah. But he also had an interview in um, a magazine called Sport three decades later, mm-hmm. where he said that exchange never happened. Yeah. Man, it's still a controversial thing. Um, he reportedly refused to bribe a couple times, despite the fact that it would have effectively doubled his salary. And then a guy named Letty Williams ultimately threw the money on the floor of his hotel room. And then he tried to tell the owner, Charlie Comiskey, about the fix, but Comiskey didn't want to deal with it. Yeah. All of, most of this is alleged and, you know, hearsay. Um, he couldn't afford legal counsel. He's represented by a team attorney, Alfred Austrian, mm-hmm. with a clear conflict of interest. Because he was Comiskey's lawyer. Right. Yep. Um, he allegedly elicited a Jackson's... Admission of a supposed role on fix by paying, plying him with whiskey. So I'm going to get you drunk. And we're just going to, like, that's wild, man. Yeah. And, um, and a big part of it, too, is Jackson was nearly illiterate. Yeah. Eventually he learned how to sign his name for autographs, but he didn't know how to read. He couldn't read and write, but I bet he could mark up a heck of a school book. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, despite that, he had a bunch of businesses outside of baseball, so he wasn't too, like, a hillbilly, you know. He ran a liquor store in Greenville, South Carolina. But this one comes with a decent story. A decent 
decent ending, even though I don't think he was justly rectified. Um, years later, the other seven players implicated in the scandal confirmed that Jackson was not at any of the meetings. Yeah. And um, they only mentioned Jackson's name to give their plot more credibility because he was kind of the franchise cat. Yeah. Um, He's a great player. But Jackson admitted, I guess he just wanted to get it done, you know, and there's a 1993 article in the American Statistician that reported the results of the statistical analysis of Jackson's contribution during the 1919 World Series and concluded that there was substantial support to Jackson's subsequent claims of innocence. And that kind of lends itself to the new era of stat keeping and wild stats and things like that. So mm-hmm. I kind of want to wish Shoeless Joe was innocent and got hung up in it, but why would you admit it if you had? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but he lives on as an American folktale. And, you know, he has the Seals Joe Jackson Museum in Greenville, South Carolina, which I've been before and I would recommend it. Especially now since they've renovated it. But it's right across the street from the Greenville Drives ballpark. So that's cool. Does he have anything about him in the Baseball Hall of Fame right now? Oh, he does. Or is he kind of blacklisted there? Or is it? Or are they willing to kind of look at the negatives also? He, there is artifacts related to Joe Jackson at the Hall of Fame. But he's not going to be glorified there. No, but like Rose has artifacts in the Hall of Fame as well. Pete Rose. Right. And they will mention him in the Hall of Fame, but like he's not, I mean, that's about the best. But you're not enshrined. Well, you're not enshrined, but you know. He's but a, here's here's his 3000s hit ball kind of deal. Yeah, they're not going to ignore him. Both Jackson and Rose are a part of the game. It's history. You cannot ignore their accomplishments. And you have to tell the story of at least their accomplishments and then their downfalls. So, you know, we're not, you know, the Hall of Fame's not whitewashing their stories. You know, I'm not coming by at the Hall of Fame by asking. I'm just kind of curious, you know. So, even yeah. though they're not enshrined, they are represented. Some of their artifacts, like the 3,000 pitch balls, probably there. Right. You know, they are represented in some way. I would love to hold that baseball. Like Pete Rose's three thousand hit ball. You'd have to wear some gloves. You can't. You some can't, white gloves, some like the, white gloves. Yeah, but I, I'm sure you've gotten to do some of that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I've hold, I've held artifacts with white gloves before. I mean, that's what awesome. You that's, that's so awesome. It man. is. I'm so envious of you. I mean, you know, I love baseball you, history. So, oh, and you've known it better than anybody I know. Man. Yeah. Now, so I guess we should jump into Rose. I was gonna do a uh, maze and mantle. Okay, yeah. There we go. So, two surprising people that you didn't think would get banned from baseball, Willie Mays and Mickey Mantle. They both got banned from baseball by the commissioner at the time, Bowie Kuhn, because both Willie Mays and Mickey Mantle chose to go work in a casino for, you know, to make some money. Was now, it like during the off-season, something they are doing this? Yeah, I was like, well, yeah, it was the off-season. So, I got, so... 19, so we'll start with Willie first because Willie was the first one that got banned. It's 1979. Willie just got inducted to the Baseball Hall of Fame. And he gets a job at this casino in Atlantic City. I believe it's Bollies. He was already inducted in the Hall of Fame. Right. He just got inducted that year. Is he still playing? No, no, no. He, he, he retired in 1973. And this is 79. I'm going to have a question that comes circles back to this. Okay. So, in 1979, you, you, this, was a great, this was a great year and not so great year for Willie Mays. 
he gets inducted to the Hall of Fame in 79. And then he decides to take a job at a hotel and casino in Atlantic City called Bally's Park Place. Just like the Bally Sports Network now, it's the same family. Yeah, they've been a long time glamour thing, but now they're America's legalizing gambling. They, yeah. We're going to advertise with all of these. And yeah, that's why we don't have Fox Sports Net South or whatever. I think Fox still operates it. They just changed the naming rights. Yeah, that, it makes sense. Bally Sports doesn't know what they're doing. They just have the naming rights to it. Yeah. So he gets hired at Bally's Place Park, Park Place in Atlantic City as, as what they call a goodwill ambassador. It was not a full-time job, right? His job was basically to show up and be famous while doing meet and greets at corporate events and charities. They wanted to stick his face on posters. Right. Just be there to say hello and do, hi, how's it going? Maybe sign some autographs, right? He's not working in the casino as a dealer. He's enticing people to come into the casino to meet him. Right. Okay. You know, and there was less of a chance that Mays would become involved in the actual gambling part of the job because under New Jersey law at the time, he had to register with the Gambling Commission as a casino employee, and casino employees were prohibited from making bets. So, you know, he registered as a casino employee, but he, he wasn't going to make bets. He wasn't going to work in the casino, like, doing, like, cards and stuff like that. But that didn't matter to Bowie Kuhn, who was commissioner at the time. And we briefly mentioned this in the commissioner's episode. So he banned Millie Mays. He cited a rule. He cited Major League Baseball's strict rules against players, coaches, and team personnel being involved with gambling. And he forced Mays out of his job as a hitting instructor for the Mets because that's what he was doing at the time. And he said, you know, because you took that job, you can't do this. You can't be the head of hitting instructor, and you're banned from working in baseball. And Kuhn said, a casino is no place for a baseball hero in the Hall of Famer. Was there any evidence of him gambling at all? Or was he just collecting a paycheck as a poster boy? He's just collecting a paycheck as a poster boy. There was no evidence of him like gambling, like betting on teams or like working in like actual you know, on the floor of the casino. You See, know? And also if you are a hitting instructor and you're involved in that, I can kind of see where the hey man. Yeah. But if you're full and retired, do what the hell you want, you know? But Yeah. And so that was in nineteen seventy nine. Nineteen eighty three rolls around. Mickey Mantle was approached by the Del Webb Claridge Hotel and Casino in Atlantic City for a similar position. And now, Del now, Webb... City is a hop and a skip from New York City, right. where he is a living legend. Right. And Del Webb was a part owner of the New York Yankees when Mantle played for the Yankees. Right. So him and Dan Topping owned the Yankees from the 40s. I forgot, St- I forgot Steinbrenner didn't own the Yankees forever. Right. He felt like he did, though. <laughs> yeah, felt like, yeah. So, Mantle got approached by the Del Webb Casino for a similar position, mostly making appearances at golf tournaments and charity events. And he was inclined to take it. And here's why. Now, I read the Mantle biography, The Last Boy by Gene Levy. And in the book, it talks about him taking this job. And he had to take the job because one of his sons was battling with lymphoma because that was a family disease. And he had to help pay his son's medical expenses. And I'm not really sure what else he had going for him at the time financially. But he felt like, from what I read in the book, he felt like he had no choice but to take this job. Because, like, well, it was going to help my son. I need to take my job. I need to take this job. You know. And Bowie Coon warned him. It's like, hey, 
I banned Mays for doing this sort of thing. I'm going to ban you too if you don't. And it didn't, you know, and Mickey Mantle just ignored him and said, I don't care. I got to do this. You know, he called Coons Fred stupid, you know, and he took the job anyway. And so in 83, he, was Mickey Mantle's health already climbing at this point? I mean, he was still an alcoholic. Well, that's never going to be health, but. Right. But, you know, at the time it was fine. Like he didn't get cancer until like near the end of his life, but. He's like, dude, I gotta take this job. I gotta help my son out with his you know, medical expenses with Oklahoma and whatnot. I have no choice but to take this job. I'm gonna do it anyway. And so uh, Kuhn banned Mantle too. And so, and of course, they were both banned until 1985, when the new commissioner Peter Uberoff reinstated them in the Hall of Fame. I mean, reinstated them into baseball. They're already in the Hall of Fame. They didn't get banned from the Hall of Fame, but so they got he they got reinstated in March 18, 1985. And Ubrov said that both Mays and Mantle were two of the most beloved and admired athletes in the country today, and they belong in baseball. And there's that great um, Sports Illustrated cover back in '85 with the three of them, Ubrov, Mantle, and Mays, smiling, and the captain says, "Welcome home." Peter Uberoff reinstates Willie Mays and Mickey Mantle, which that's what it should be, you know. So that was kind of – that's a weird instance where two greats of the game got banned because they decided to work at casinos for, like, you know, PR PR positions, you know. So what what is your take on that, Patrick? Do you have a take on it? Or? I feel like it's kind of – if he can prove he was gambling on baseball, there might be an issue there. Yeah. But if you're just doing PR appearances, man, get your cash. Yeah. Especially back then, because baseball players weren't making, like, baseball players now are making so much money. Those guys back then, they were making more than a livable wage, of course, but it's not even comparable. Right. And the, I got a big thing. The rich always want to get richer. You look at your Bezos as your mm-hmm. guy that just bought Twitter, Elon. You know, yeah, like. Plus, yeah. It'd be nice to drop $43 billion on something, you know? <laughs> yeah. Damn, grow yourself. As, as long as he's not gambling, I feel like that suspension is unjust or that ban is unjust. Yeah. Know? As long as you can't prove that he's gambling on the game that he is involved in. Right. I honestly don't give a damn if football players gamble on football games or baseball players gamble on baseball games, but they're not playing it. Right. Personally. Not- but I also understand they might have some inside knowledge and screw up the lines for me. Yeah. Who I'm a semi, I mean, semi-consistent sports gambler, you know? Yeah, as long as they're not playing or associated with their club in any way or Major League Baseball in any way. That's like fine. MLB players aren't even allowed to gamble on NFL games as far as I understand. I, I can see that, yeah. You know? Um, I mean, which I guess that's probably the right way to go. I don't know. I don't know how to feel about it. <laughs> as long as you're not... Yeah, I want to say as long as you're not Pete Rose in it, but we're about to get to Pete Rose. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. But yeah, that so that I'm sure some. I'm sure not everybody knew that about Mason Mantle, but that's some little. Known that was fact. an interesting fun fact I enjoyed learning this week. Yeah, they both got banned, and then they immediately got reinstated with a new commissioner. So, all right, so let's talk about the man of the hour, Pete Rose. Well, we'll talk about him. 
greatest baseball hitter, greatest hustler that ever played the baseball game, other than maybe Tony Gwynn on the baseball hitting part. Right. I mean, um, he was a switch hitter, all-time MLB leader in hits. Speaks for itself. Yeah. 4,256 hits. The benchmark is 3,000. Yep. you think that man would be in the Hall of Fame just on that number alone, right? you think. That is first but, um, 17 All-Star appearances, Rookie of the Year, three batting titles, three World Series rings, an MVP award, two gold gloves. Um, I said 17 All-Star appearances already, and he uh, played at five different positions, second, left, right, third, and first. And um, he won both of his gold gloves as an outfielder, actually, and people think of him as an infielder. Right. He played everywhere except for pitcher and catcher. Hey, utility man. Mm-hmm. Organization wise, because he, you know, we're getting to that. Yeah. But in August 1899, um, it was his last year as a manager and three years after he retired as a player, because he was a player manager for yep. a minute. Well, yeah, I think it was the last one. Um, player manager. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, I think there wasn't Bobby Cox a player manager for a second. That would have been a we'll have to look into that. It might be before that. Yeah. Um, we'll have to look into that. We will recap that in the last end of the next episode. <sighs> um, but he was penalized with permanent indulgence in baseball against accusations that he gambled on ball games while he played for and managed the Reds. Yep. The charges of wrongdoing included claims that he bet on his own team. And in 1991, the Baseball Hall of Fame formally voted to ban those on the permanently ineligible list from induction. So the Hall of Fame actually made a stance on this. Yeah. So that's why Joe Jackson's not getting all of it. So here's my thing with Pete Rose. Can we let him in as a player and not as a manager? Because it, from what I understand, it's You know what I'm saying? Can we be like, and he needs to have an asterisk at the bottom. He is allowed in as a player of his stats. And not as a manager when he was in control. Right. Because as a manager, I can see you shaving runs. Hey, we're up 6-4. Yeah. Or no, we're up 10-4, but the run line is 15. I need to throw this reliever in and give up one more run before we win this game. Yeah. I'm not going to say he threw any games, but he could shave a couple points there wow. in his favor. And that's about a thing with Pete Russ. Yeah. Can we allow him in the Hall of Fame as a manager? Not as, as not a manager and still compliment him as a ball player. That's a but that's also a character thing. You're supposed to have fine character to be in the Hall of Fame, right? You know. But um, the allegation is that he gambled on baseball games while he played and managed for the Reds. And the charges of wrongdoing included claims that he bet on his own team in 1991. The Hall of Fame we discovered that yeah. After years of public denial, he admitted in 2004 he bet on baseball and on the Reds. Yeah, we wrote a new autobiography. Yeah, he's cool. I need I need a paycheck. He's signing autographs in Vegas. Ain't doing it for me. Right. Yeah. You can pay that man enough money. He will write whatever you want in a baseball. There's a uh, baseball that I saw on sale the other day. It said, "I bet on baseball," and I'm sorry, Pete Rose. You give him enough money, he will write whatever you want in a baseball. And then Pete Rose this past year spoke at UNA for their UNA Sportsman's Dinner. Oh, I'd love to have done that. Yeah, I, I mean, you had to pay like money to get a seat, but still, yeah, it's a fundraiser for the programs. Right. Which is really interesting. I'm thinking, you get Pete Rose. And then this year, they're getting Bill Walton, the NBA player, the former NBA player. He's going to be so high. He probably will. They'll probably 
I think everybody in the room would probably get a contact tie if Bill Walton's there, you know. Him and his uh, damn tie-dye shirt. Yeah. Maybe it'd be purple gold tie-dye. Who knows? Hey, that'd be very apropos. Yeah. yeah. But um, his reinstatement and election to the Hall of Fame is still a contentious thing. Right. That's the biggest anybody I know, and I hang out with a lot of folks that are 20 years older than me and Matthew. Yeah. It's like, well, baseball ain't baseball until Pete Rose is in the Hall of Fame. I'm like, well, you know. Oh, and, and, and during uh, Hall of Fame Dungeon Weekend, Pete Rose will be at some card shop in Cooperstown signing autographs during, in Cooperstown during Dungeon Weekend. It's like John Rocker on the sidewalks signing copies of his book. Yeah, like when I was, when, during my internship in 2019, he was at the sports club. Sports club. He was at this uh, card shop with like Joe Morgan and Tony Perez signing autographs. And he played with both those guys too, he right? He played with both those guys. They both part, all, big part of the big, all three of them. Big all three of the big, big machine. machine, you know, and I was just like, that's nuts. But, you know, he still he was still friendly with Joe Morgan and he's still friendly with Tony Perez. So, I mean, and he's somewhat friendly with Johnny Bench, but they've had some. Man, I feel like he's a good dude. Yeah. He got hung up. Yeah. And I, and the more I read about it, the more I feel like he was dabbling more and more because reading into him for this episode, in 2015, ESPN came to the conclusion in one of their uh, biopics um, that – he was definitely gambling even as a player. Yeah. And as a man and as a player manager. Which I still feel like with his career accolades, that man should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. As a player. As a player. As a player. You negate anything he did as a manager. Yeah. And that's something that the Hall of Fame and the commissioners don't want to talk about. They just don't want to deal with it. He's the best he's other than Tony Gwynn. Him and Tony Gwynn are one and two for the best series to ever play baseball. Yeah. And it, I don't think anybody would ever be able to convince me otherwise of that. And, of course, he's Rose has applied for reinstatement. Yeah, but it keeps which, getting denied. Yeah, like he applied for reinstatement with Manfred in 2015, Manfred's first year. And Manfred just wasn't impressed. He's like, well, you still gamble on stuff. Even if it may not be baseball, you still go to casinos and gamble. So, we're, you know, you have He has a memorabilia shop. In the MGM in Vegas. Right. You know, I mean, he's there signing autographs every day. Well, not every day, but you have a point. And you know he's not walking out of the casino without pulling that last slot machine. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, Let's course, throw a dollar in here see if I hit it big. And Pete Rose is 81 now. He turned 81 this past month. Damn it. You know, and it's just, you know, time, he's probably, and I think he's at the point where he's like, if I ever get inducted, it's going to be posthumously. If it ever happens. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. There's no way. There's no way he's gonna. Happen. He should go play for the bananas. <laughs> if he played for the bananas, that'd be something else. But that's then, funny. That's a recurring thing on the show now. Who should play for the bananas? Because they already got Bill Spaceman Lee, and they got Jake Peavy to do it. Why not? Oh, uh, Jake Peavy is a phenomenal manager for them. Him running around in that leopard skin coat. No, that's Eric Burns. Eric Burns. That's it. The, another former major oh, leader. I love him. Yeah, he's so hype. Dude, I love it. Like, if y'all don't classes. follow bananas on Twitter. Or Facebook or Instagram. They're coming to um, Trash Pants next year, by the way. Oh, oh, you're breaking the news. It's inside source. It's inside source. Should we be saying that on the air? Or at least I know they're working on getting there. I know they're going to Kansas City this month to go play the Kansas City Monarchs, which used to be Kansas City T-Bone. Yeah, they got challenged. Yeah, supposedly. they got challenged. So that's going to be fun. Maybe other minor leagues will, at least independent minor leagues, will jump to the challenge. Because I would love to see, like, Shell and see the Trash Pants do it, but that's not going to happen. Well, I love how they have a 
team for that and a team for this. The guy I played with, Chad Reeves, me and him didn't get along great in college. If you're listening, Chad, I know we didn't get along. You're a heck of a pitcher. We butt ahead. But um, they were down in Mobile last year on the tour. And yeah. I said, if you're in Mobile, I want to pitch. Come see what you can throw. Damn, six, seven years after playing ball, Chad Reeves got there. And he's, he works out a lot. Yeah. Plays a good guitar. He got up there on three damn nine too. They brought him in to pitch for him. Yeah. Just random guy from the Chris Hands kind of deal. You know, that's, that's cool. I mean, yeah, they got JP to pitch at him. So, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. But in the, his goal. Yeah. So, that's absurd. Why not? But, you know, Pete Rose actually did play for the Bananas. You know, he's going to be asking money that Jesse Cole cannot afford to pay him. And then that could cause dissension among the team. Nah, Je- Jesse Cole would be like, charge $10 an autograph out in the foyer. You'll make what you're making. Right. That's kind of what Pete Rose does for a living, though. Yeah, you know, go. You he's know. an autograph salesman. He sells on autographs. So even when he dies, his autographs ain't going to be worth nothing because he, sold, so he sits there all day and signs autographs and in there's Vegas. So many, there's so many out there. I mean, it's not like a Christy Matheson, which is so hard to find. For 60 bucks, he will sign whatever you want on a baseball. Right. You know, you know, the longer you've been dead, the harder the, harder the autograph you're going to find. Unless you saturate the market before you die. Right, which is what Pete Rose is doing. So Pete Rose is just a, that's a topic that's just, you know, he, and he'll deserve his own episode in the future, but man, he is just, <laughs> what, what else can you say about Pete Rose? He's just out there. He's something else. He built his own bed, man. Yeah, he made his own bed. So, you know, if he just stayed off the gambling, well, he's betting on his own team or other teams. That's the thing, man. Bet on other games you're not in. Right. If you're fucking betting money on your damn team and you can shave a run as a manager, that's where the problem comes in. Yeah. Like, I'm cool with you betting Milwaukee and Atlanta when you're the Reds playing New York. Right. I'm sure the league's not cool with that, but I'm cool with that because you don't have any control in that. But even though he is not in the Baseball Hall of Fame, he's in the Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame. He is. He's got a really cool little thing in there. I don't yeah. And he's got a statue outside Great American Ballpark, so there's that. And it was really cool that um, actually TBS brought him back for some broadcasts also. That was really cool. Yeah, A-Rod and Frank Thomas. All yeah. Guys. He was good. You know, he was good. But, yeah. Uh, yeah That's all I got to say about you, Rose. He was something else. All right, so we're done with the gambling section of this. We're going to get into the steroids section. There's a couple guys that we want to talk about. And the first one is going to be Ryan Braun. And a lot of y'all know we're from Huntsville, Alabama. We used to have the Huntsville Stars. Now they got the Rocket City Trash Pandas. But a guy named Ryan Braun, um, he's a two-time All-American at Miami. Freshman of the year by Baseball America in 03. That's a heavy honor. Yeah. Especially as a freshman to be able to continue through that. Um, drafted fifth in the 2005 draft. Um, he's a five-tool cat, you know. And um, had a great career with the um, Milwaukee Brewers. Yep. Fourteen seasons, um, even a couple after his steroid. He won MVP in twenty eleven. He was in MVP because he led the National League in slugging percentage, on base plus slugging, and extra base hits. And he hit three thirty two that year. I mean, you know, twenty eleven was a great year for Ryan Braun. He won the tw- you know, he won the National League MVP. And he hit three thirty two and he led 
<clears throat> excuse me, he led the National League in damn near everything. I feel like yeah, it seems like everything. Apologize. He led in slugging percentage with five ninety seven on base plus slugging percentage with nine ninety four. Silver Slugger winner. Yeah, Silver Slugger, and he led the next race since the seventy seven. And he was second in the National League in batting average, 332, runs scored, 109, and total bases, 336. And fourth in RBIs, 111. Oh, he won five straight silver sluggers. Oh, yeah. right, to 2012. Duke could hit. He could rake. But five here, straight All-Star games, also 8 to 2012. Yeah. But here's where his MVP season gets tainted. My man failed a test for testosterone. In 2011, and then in 2012, Biogenesis came in. Yep. And so, in 2011, when he failed the first test, he appealed the test in January 2012, and he continued that the test collector, Dino... Was a racist. Yes. Well, we're, we're, hold on, we're getting there. Yeah, well, he contended that he was, well, he he was racist, but... He contended that Dino Lorenzi Jr. mishandled his urine sample. Under MLB's drug testing program, samples should be sent to the laboratory on the same day they are collected, absent unusual circumstance. Mm-hmm. Ron's sample was collected and sealed on a Saturday. Lorenzi stated that no FedEx delivery center was open that day. Therefore, he, can, he followed protocol, stored the samples in a rubber-made container, and dropped them off at an open FedEx center on Monday. Ron pointed out that there were at least five FedEx locations within five miles that were open until 9 p.m., and there was also a 24-hour location. MLB argued that there was no evidence of tampering in the sample, and the United States Anti-Doping Agency said that testosterone levels in the samples would not grow in a refrigerator over the weekend. A second test conducted by an independent laboratory showed normal testosterone levels. Here's my thing with that also. When yeah. every time I had to take a college drug test, I had to sign the seal. Yeah. And I had to sign over the seal because there was a sticker. They would lay over the top of it when I was playing college ball. And the seal would be in the middle, and my signature would go over it. And if I were to fail, they'd bring me that seal that was broken. Like, is this your signature? You know, that kind of deal. Yeah. So and, I, so I kind of don't believe them a little bit. And so in February 2012, his suspension uh, – his uh, – the test results got overturned by a vote of two to one. It was a three-member panel that voted on it. And it was the first time that an MLB player had successfully challenged the drug test results. And that panel consisted of future uh, MLB commissioner Rob Manfred, who at the time was just a lawyer to see Lee. Well, I mean, he was just part of the uh, thing. And, you know, arbitrate... So, you know, they determined that Braun had raised valid questions about the manner in which Lorenzi had handled his, handled his sample, and the New York Times wrote that Braun won on a technicality. <laughs> and of course, it's fresh leaf, you know. I still think he won on technicality. I kind of agree with it. Yeah. And that's me as an outsider. Yeah. And he claimed, he also claimed that he was being tampered, not tampered. Yeah, he claimed he was tampered with because the guy was an anti-Semite because Brian Brown was a Jew guy. Yeah, I mean, well, with, yeah. but my big problem with Ryan Braun is that he actually admitted to like, yeah, you got me. The second time when the biogenesis trial came around and all of that, he, he, he was right. Yeah, you got me, man. And he wound up serving, I think, it was a half season, suspension, sixty-eight games. 
Yeah, it was like it was the rest of the 2013 season. But it, like, well, that's my that's why I wanted to include Braun on this man. You got you got busted lion, right? So why are you know? It was 65 games. The main 65 games of the regular season he suspended. Okay. I thought it was a half season, so. And he lost $3.25 million as a result, and he did not appeal the suspension. He, he, he said, his statement when it said, I realize now that I have made some mistakes. I am willing to accept the consequences of those actions. Well, good. You know. I mean, you know, but, like, he basically just bashed Lorenzi. Called him, you know, was claiming he was anti-Semitic against him, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, he was playing every card he could to keep his baseball livelihood going. Right, and he basically attacked, I mean, he, he attacked his integrity to save his butt. And then in the end, when he got busted again, yeah, on the, I, he said, basically, yeah, not a quote, but he basically wound up saying, yeah, I'm the jackass here, and I apologize. Yeah. Hoping the- everybody would fucking reward him. Right. But, you know, that you ruined your own reputation. He did apologize to Lorenzi, saying that he deeply regretted the comments he made about him. Well, look, dude, I mean, you know, of course, I don't think Lorenzi would accept that apology. But I don't know. No, I would absolutely not accept that if apology. You challenged out. my character when you were in the wrong. I am 1,000% not accepting your BS I, apology. I mean, that's slander and might be. You know, that's, that's a slander. Oh, in 2022 years, man, that guy is a... Takes every money, every bit of money Brian Braun made playing baseball. Right. Just don't do, just don't do PEDs. Don't cheat. Don't cheat. You're a good enough hitter. You don't have to cheat. Right. So and now, it kind of makes sense why he won six straight, seven straight Silver Sluggers. Right. You know, and just great in, in, in the Miami and in the minor leagues. You know, but you know, just just don't cheat. Just don't do drugs. I mean, well, don't do PEDs. You know. Yeah. And don't do like illegal drugs either. Smoke like, pot, smoke pot, and do cocaine like Josh Hamilton did, man. He was off the radar forever. Yeah, he was. <laughs> I hate to make that joke, but it's yeah. a joke, guys. It's a joke, guys. Yeah, and of course now we gotta go to. We gotta go to all uh, Alex Rodroydegs, Rod Rodroydegs, Rodroydegs, Rodroydegs. Oh, wow. okay, you're trying to see the roids. A roids, a roids. Yeah. He's a, hey, he was a 14-time All-Star, probably about half of them before he got on the juice. Yeah. You know, he didn't need the juice. Um, and he got suspended for the juice also. Um, in July of 2007, it's a book on my bookshelf out front. It's called Juice mm-hmm. by a man good. named Jose Canseco. Wild times, rabbit roid, smash hits, and how baseball got big. Mm-hmm. And... Um, He got kind of got outed, and then in an interview with Katie Couric, he flatly denied ever using them. Yep. And then in 2009, Selena Roberts and David Epstein of SI reported that Rodriguez had tested positive for two testosterone and Primo Bolin. Mm-hmm. And during the 2003 season with the Rangers, the same season in which he captured his first MVP award. Was that not before that was legal to test? Was that right when it was starting? What was the year? Again? Oh, three. I think that was before. Or no, no, no. It was right when they were starting. Okay, so he failed one out of the initial test. Right, because we mentioned this in the Mitchell report, the episode. So. Yeah. Right, because, you know, it will be just ignored it for the longest time until 2003. 
Oh man. <laughs> and he was. Oh, it was. Um, it was. They were. That's when they were doing a drug survey before they initiated. Oh, because drug survey so. initiated. Yeah. Um. And there was no penalty or punishment for a test at that time. Because more than 5% of the samples taken from all of the players in baseball in 2003, when we were loving baseball, more than 5% of baseball players were on steroids. Yeah. I'm willing to bet it was more than, I bet you had a one in front of that five, but it's more realistic of a number. 15%? Yeah. I bet that's more realistic of a number. Allegedly. I can't say they were or weren't. I went there, you know, but... And, oh man! And then, like you know, he was getting the steroids, and there was, and those the, that test result was supposed to remain anonymous and be destroyed. Right, it was a sample test run, and, but apparently they weren't, and they came back and bit him. And um, a coded match list of 104 players was seized during Balco. Yeah. The next year. <laughs> oh man! In Long Beach, and um, we can do a whole episode on Balco. Yeah. And um, Quest Diagnostics, that's who, we, that's who um, one of my former employers used for our drug test. Um, there was 104 positive testing players who were released to MLBPA in 2004, and the players union later said the 104 positive samples were in the process of being destroyed when they were subpoenaed by federal authorities not for making continued destruction improper, quote-unquote. And testosterone is available by prescription, but a lot of people, you know, when you're playing the sport, and it's against the rules. You can't get it. Nope. You know. Um, oh, and he denied, denied, denied the early stuff. We can keep talking about his early stuff. But we get into the later stuff. And uh, he absolved the players unit of any blame for leaking his positive results. Saying he was he alone was responsible for his mistakes. And friend and former teammate Doug Glanville. That's a great name. While noting the outrage over Rodriguez's use of steroids, you berated Rodriguez's critics for their lack of outrage about how a confidential and anonymous test could be made public. Mm-hmm. No major league player, Gamble wrote, would have participated in a 2003 survey if he had thought the results even had a chance of becoming public. <laughs> it's like, hey, I got screwed, I feel like. It was, hey, this penis cup, nobody will ever know. We're just kind of Making a sample. Yeah. And if I was on the juice, I'd have been like, nah, man, I'm good. Personally. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. And so, like, he was getting the drugs from Biogenesis of America down in Florida. It was run by a guy named Tony Bosch. And we have our own episode. There's a 30 for 30 on that if y'all haven't seen it. His story is wild. And also, uh, the YouTube channel Baseball Doesn't Exist. Did a video about him and you know his link to giving guys like A Rod and Ryan Braun steroids, even Manny Ramirez, is like it, I think it's called like MLB's most famous drug dealer or something, infamous drug dealer or something like that. It's a wild story, man. Oh, it's a roller coaster. He's and not, that, that man now is he's done his prison time and he's here to make money on his story about getting the boys juiced. Yeah, I'm sure he could write a book about it. <laughs> I'd buy it. He's wild. He was wild. He's just a wild, and he's not a real doctor. Like he got some some weird diploma from like Columbia or something. So it was just bizarre. Yeah. But Dude, the fact that A-Rod even had to call a press conference in Tampa later, <laughs> at, later in the month after that happens. And in the presence of all of his Yankee teammates was just like, I didn't do this. I didn't do this. I didn't do this. Yeah. And here's where my problem with A-Rod comes in. I love him on TV. I love him as a 
guy trying to teach the game to young people. He's obviously a phenomenal ball player. He probably didn't even need steroids no. to do what he did. But on February 28, 2010, New York Times reported that he received treatment from a Canadian sports star named Anthony Galea in March 2009. And uh, Galea reached a plea agreement and kind of played it through under the bus that I gave him HGH and active, I have some, an A word I can't pronounce <laughs> of steroids. But he only prescribed anti-inflammatories. But HGH and anti-inflammatories. Yeah. And then here's where the biogenesis comes back into the story again. Mm -hmm. You know, and from summer 2013, Rodriguez was suspended for his role in scandal. And So the big deal also on A-Rod's thing is immediately when he was announced being suspended, he said, I'm going to appeal. Mother guys that have been caught with steroids immediately are just like, I'll eat it. And he's like, I'm appealing it. Mm -hmm. And uh, Bud Selig had the option of using his best interest baseball powers to pull him from the field. He chose to suspend Rodriguez and not the CB under the drug agreement. Under the drug agreement and not this collective bargaining agreement. Mm -hmm. So he was allowed to keep playing while his appeal was going. Which, circling back to Trevor Bauer, if I was commissioner, that might be how I want this to go. But yeah. we'll get into that later, I'm sure. He'll be on the 10 years from now, he'll do an episode we do with this. But uh, the, the proposed suspension would include a global lock clause, which would prevent him from playing in other known leagues, such as. Japan and Korea. Oh, wow. The Nippon League, that's in Japan, correct? Yeah, Nippon's Japan. Yeah, yeah. so it's Nippon and Korea, so Japan and Korea. And as the leagues in those nations honor any suspensions in MLB. Nice. So that kind of sucks for Bauer. I didn't realize that was a thing. Well, I guess he just, uh, Bauer's just going to start his own barnstorming team then. Yeah, he'll pay for the mass. Yep. Um, but the arbitration process... Followed, suspension was upheld in January 2014, but he was allowed to play during the appeal and it reduced suspension to 162 games. Yeah, so he got so he spent a, a whole year. A whole year. 2014 done. And then in November of 2014, he kind of revealed it to the DEA, who was also investigating that he did it. Yeah. And that's my thing. That's my thing with these guys. Don't lie about doing it. Same thing with Ryan Braun. Admit it. If you're lying, the best way to get through it is just to admit it. Right. Just come clean and tell the truth. I screwed up, man. We all, I made a mistake. We're all humans. We all make mistakes. You know? Learn from your mistakes and do better. Don't lie about it. Don't make excuses. Don't try to ruin a man's reputation. Like Ryan Braun did, you know, just just admit it and move on. A Rod A Rod pleaded eighteen days earlier before he admitted it to the DEA that he was innocent and this and that. Wow! And then he goes to the DEA. Ridiculous, man. And that's my thing, man. Like A Rod would be a Hall of Famer 
I think even if that first steroid pop off the uh, early test had happened, yeah, I think he'd be a Hall of Famer had he not denied it, right, and then got then admitted it later because he has the he's got he the has, numbers. He has the numbers to get in the Hall of Fame, but there's and he played multiple positions, multiple positions, shortstop, kind of Cal Ripkenish, you know, yeah, you know, but just you know, he. He brought this. He brought this on himself. Do you think a big part of that is ego? I would say so, hundred percent. Dude's got a big ego, especially guys like McGuire and Sosa, also who weren't included in the steroid portion of this. But yeah. you think their ego is? I'm going to think their ego of I'm the big popper was a big part of. Yeah, I mean everybody has an ego. Some are bigger than others. A Rod's got a huge ego. I've got an ego. You've got an ego. We have different egos. Right. Every human being has an ego. Right. It's just how it is. Yeah. Yeah, but, I think his ego was so big he didn't want to admit it. Same thing with Ryan Braun. They just didn't want to admit it. Yeah. It's sad. Yeah. Oh well. This is a shame to throw away a Hall of Fame career over that. Right. You have so much over talent. some crap you didn't need. Right, you didn't need HGH or any testosterone steroids, you know. You didn't need that stuff. It's like Barry Bonds. He could have been the next Tony Gwynn. Yeah. But he wanted to be the next. He wanted to hit more home runs than anybody. Yeah. And that's allegedly. 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 He allegedly did that. Same thing with Clemens. You know, he allegedly. Especially on these podcasts, guys. We're not allowed to say anybody did anything illegal if they haven't been convicted of. So we got to throw allegedly in there. Right. You know, but they got that stain chasing them. Well, not stain. But you get my point. They got that cloud hanging over their head, you know. Oh. Just, yeah, especially living in San Francisco for Bonds. That's where your really? godfather and your dad and everybody was at. Yeah, you know. Well, it's just a shame, man. You know, guys are probably not going to get in the Hall of Fame anytime soon, despite their accolades. It's sad, you know. Yeah, we got any kids listening at home. Keep your nose clean. You might make it in the Hall of Fame one day. If you don't, you won't. Right. Play it straight. Admit your mistakes when you do make mistakes. That's the big part right there, Matthew. Yeah. There's lots when of you, when you when you make a bonehead mistake, own it. And I'm sure there's you know, we got a lot of people in our generation who do that too. You know, they're not humble and don't like to admit when they're wrong. And it's sad. You know, I mean at times that I you know, at times I'm like I was like that too as younger, but you know, when you get older you gotta make you know, you gotta admit it when you're wrong sometimes because nobody's perfect. I'll never forget the one day when I realized my dad wasn't dumb. He oh, yeah. told me some stuff 10 years in advance that's going to happen this way. And I was, when it happened, I was like, you're right, old man. Yeah. You know, things like that. You just Wise old man. <laughs> be humble. Yeah. But hell, we got anything else to add to all these uh, bad boys? Well, so I got two other things. Now, we're gonna, we got to backtrack. But these are two instances that really stuck out that are not steroid-related. One that's gambling related. Um, the gambling related one is in 1943, first commissioner Kennesaw Mountain Landis banned Phillies owner William Cox for betting on his team. As he should have. As he should. Well, it depends. Is he betting win loss or is he betting run lines? If he's was, betting win loss, I'm going to bet the win. And as long as he did his bet the win, that was my thing with Rose for a while before the books came out. Yeah. If he's betting just on his team to win, I don't see a problem. 
As far as I know, I, I gotta get back to Cox. Um, if he's betting win loss, I'm cool with it. But if he's betting run lines and things like that, not cool. I believe he was betting run lines. Yeah, not cool. So that's like me and my men's team. If I bet on someone to win every time, yeah, I don't see a problem. So William Cox was a lumber. He made his biz, He's made his business in the lumber industry. In fact, he was born on November eighth, nineteen oh nine. Him and I share a birthday. We're both born November eighth. Um, and he bought the Phillies in nineteen forty three, and the Phillies were a moribund team. They were terrible. The guy who owned them, Jerry Nugent, didn't have a lot of money. You know, they were a terrible team for many, many years. That's why they were the first franchise to lose ten thousand games back in two thousand seven. You know, uh, 2,000 games in a, in a career. In a, you know. so he I can't remember also on that fact that they were in existence before a lot of other teams were. Right. They were around. That's 16, a skewed statistic. 1883 or 1887. No, oh, it was 1883. Right. Back when there were probably 10, 12 teams. Right. I mean, the Braves were there longer than the Phillies, but still, you know. But you got to remember that they were an earlier team. And you can't compare them to the damn Devil Race. Right. And so Cox bought the team in 1943. At the time, he was 33 when he bought the team. He was the youngest owner in the league, in both leagues. And the Phillies were just awful, as I've said. You know. And he did some things to improve the team. He increased the team's payroll. He devoted significant resources to player development, which included the farm system. And he hired Bucky Harris as the manager, who won two pennants with the Washington Senators in the 1920s in the World Series in 1924. But, you know, he was a hands-on guy, kind of like Steinbrenner, but not to that extent. And they did improve somewhat. They went 64-90, which is a losing record, but, you know, they won 22 more games than they did in 42. And they got out of eighth place. I think they moved up to like seventh place. But so he did some good, and, and attendance went up to 466,000 fans in 43, which was doubled to 42. So he did some games. But he fired Bucky Harris like, in the middle of the season. And supposedly, on July 28th of that year, Bucky Harris dropped a bombshell. And he claimed that he had evidence that Cox was betting on his own team. Because supposedly, as the story goes, Bucky Harris, I think the day he got fired, maybe the day after he got fired, he walked by, I guess, Cox's office. And he heard the secretary make some phone calls about something. And it involved, like, betting figures. And Harris is like, what's that? What, what are you talking about? And the secretary, being the dumb secretary, is like, oh, Oh, it's Mr. Cox talking about, you know, the betting and something along those lines. And so Harris is like, oh. He wants Cleveland plus one and a half. Yeah. Some crap like that. So I think also, you know, Harris probably had a crawl to pick with William Cox for firing him, you know, halfway through the season. So he claimed that he, you know, because he heard what the secretary was saying, he claimed that, hey, I got some, I got proof that, Cox has been on his own team. So, of course, Landis is like, whoa. Whoa. <laughs> We're launching an investigation. And, of course, Cox denied any wrongdoing. 
but he conceded that some of his business associates business associates betted on the Phillies. And as the investigation progressed, Cox changed his story and admitted to making some sentimental bets on the Phillies, including they didn't know it was against the rules. And I'm like, dude. So we're, we're playing plausible deniability. Yeah. And Landis suspended him on November 23rd, 1943. Cox immediately, so he resigned as president, and then he appealed the ruling 11 days later. And at the December 4th hearing in 1943, Harris, Bucky Harris testified that he heard Cox's secretary asking about odds for a game between the Phillies and the Brooklyn Dodgers. So when Harris asked, do you mean to tell me that Mr. Cox is betting on baseball, the secretary replied that it was common knowledge in the Phillies' office. That's and, fair. And on that, and on that, on the basis of that and other evidence, Landis ordered that Cox be banned for life, making him the first non-player to be banned by baseball. As, and he is the last owner to be banned for life as of 2021. Fuck, he owned it, earned it. Yeah, he earned it because he lied and he changed his story. And he, you know, it was common knowledge, and nobody did anything about it. And so, of course, Steinberg got banned from baseball, but then he got reinstated. So this is different. And he was like thirty, like at this time he turned thirty-four. He was thirty-four when he got banned as an owner. It's like, dude, don't bet on your team. Don't bet on baseball when you're associated with the team. You know, making that much money, you can pony money up to somebody else to bet for you. Yeah, I mean, he brought hide your tracks. Right, and he didn't do that. Well, he, actually, just don't do it to begin with. But right. if you're going to do it, hide your tracks, man. It can't be that hard. You got that much money to be a Major League Baseball owner? Yeah, I mean, it's just it's stupid. Yeah. If you got yeah. enough money to be an MLB owner, man, you ought to have enough money to be like, hey, I'll give you 10% of what I win on this bet you place for me. Yeah. And so that's, you know, that's a notable banding from life. You know, an owner getting banned. Your players getting banned, but an owner is rare. So just don't just don't bet on the game. <laughs> you know, just don't bet like that, yeah? Oh. Yeah. And so this if is you play pro sports, you're not allowed to bet on any pro sports. Just go by that. If the new pro athletes will listen to this, yeah. you're not allowed to bet on any pro sports. Right. You are not allowed to gamble whatsoever unless you're at a casino playing craps. Just don't do it. Yeah. So anyway and even there you're gonna lose your ass, so don't do it. Yeah. And so, in nine, so and now a famous suspension that was very noteworthy. 1912, May 15, 1912, Baseball Hall of Famer Ty Cobb goes into a stands and punches the heckler. Now, what this, the heckler say is what I want to know. He said lots of things. Allegedly, and I mean allegedly, he called Cobb, and I'm not even going to say it, a half African-American person. A half N-word. A half N-word, yeah. Among well, other things. Well, it sounds to me like that fan deserved to get knocked out. Yeah, and, his, and, ti- and the, the Tigers teammates, his Tigers teammates backed him up and said, you got to do something about this guy. You know, you're, you're yellow if you're not well, doing home on the road. They were, they, were, they were on the road. They were at Hilltop Park in New York. Can't do that on the road. Right. They were playing the New York Highlanders that day, which became the Yankees next year. But the, his teammates said, you better do something about this guy because you're yellow if you don't do anything. And when I mean yellow, is like you're a coward. Yeah, you're a wuss. Right. So, you're being a little uh, P-word. So after 
after the the attack, the the, the heckler called Luker, allegedly called him a half N word. Cobb said, I had enough of this, and I'm jumping the stands, I'm beating him up. Now, Luker apparently was somewhat handicapped. He was kind of like three-finger brown. He lost some fingers in his hand. And, but, but yeah, uh, he's talking trash. He's talking trash, which, you know. And if, you can't, if you're talking trash, you better ready to back it up. Right. And so, and the worst part, the worst time even was, American League President Ben Johnson was at the game. So, of course, he saw it. And, of course, he's like, you're suspended indefinitely, Cobb. And so, and you would, and so the Tigers' teammates, Sam Crawford and all these guys, they went on strike. They said, you got to do, they told Johnson, you got to do something about the fans being unruly because we're not going to take that anymore and we're staying goodbye or die, Ty Cobb. We're not going to, we're not going to put this crap, so we're on strike. We're not going to play in another game until you do something about this. And so they went on strike. The Tigers team went on strike. And then the next game, they had to go play in Philadelphia and try to park against the A's. And they didn't have a team. So Huey Jennings, the manager of the, the Tigers, they had to go get a bunch of amateurs just off the streets in Philadelphia to make up the team as the Detroit Tigers for the day. And they got shellacked by the Philly A's like 24-2. It was bad. And then eventually, Cobb said, look, guys, after that shellacking, they're like, look, we, we got to get back. You know, we got to end this strike. Let's do this. And they're like, okay. So they all came back. Johnson suspended everybody like 100 bucks, except for Cobb. He got suspended 50 bucks. But they all got reinstated. But they made the point, they're like, dude, we can't take this crap anymore. You got to do something about this. You claim the American League, you know, when Johnson found the American League in 1901, he's like, we're a clean sport. We're all about clean this and clean fans and it seemed like they weren't doing their bargain in 1912. So, well, like we always say on this podcast, 1912 is a lot different than 2022. Right. Yeah. It's 110 years ago. And of course, and things are different, so there's going to be some racial tension there. Right. You know, but you know, so that was a very noteworthy suspension. Cobb didn't get banned from baseball, obviously, and neither did his teammates, but. One of the best ball players to ever play it, supposedly. Exactly. He's, he's wish, sure. wish I could have seen him. Same here. You know, you spend a day watching Ty Cobb play baseball. Oh, man, I would get a time machine for that, man. I don't care if I had to sit on top of the stadium and watch him play. I will watch him play, you know. But, I mean, he's first inducted in the Hall of Fame, too. So. But, yeah, so I think that's where I would like to end the episode. It's all, you know, the – of all the noteworthy bands being banned and suspensions, you know that's that's the best ones that come to mind when it comes to that. So, yeah, I think that about covers it, Matt. Um, got anything else to say to the people? Well, thank y'all for listening. We much appreciate it. Um, we just hit five thousand um, streams today. It's woo, yeah, and we got over our hump of. Uh, how many subscribers we have and we're looking forward to being bigger and better and y'all can still email us at baseballhs101 gmail.com with your topics yep I checked this morning we don't have anything new I got a bunch of spam emails from gmail it's gonna happen you know <laughs> that's the beat um, you can call Matthew at 256 I'm joking <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but uh, but really appreciate y'all you know, input and as always, I'm Matthew Carter, and that's Patrick.
<laughs> Good night, guys. We'll see you. <laughs> had won it, Bobby Thompson had done it, and Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born, marijuana we would scorn, so down on the corner the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball, the man and Bobby Fella, the scooter, the barber and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. Well, Casey was winning, Hank Aaron was beginning, one Robbie going out, one coming in. Kiner and Midget Goodell, the Thumper and Mel Parnell, and Ike was the only one winning down in Washington. I'm talking Baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Fella, the Scooter, the Barber, and the Duke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. Now my old friend, the Bachelor, well he swore he was the Oklahoma kid And Cookie played hooky To go and see the Duke And me, I always loved Willie Mann Those were the days Well now it's the 80s And Brett is the greatest And Bobby Bonds can play for everyone Rose is at the vet Rusty again is a Met And the great Alexander is pitching again in Washington I'm talking baseball Like Reggie Quees and Barry Talking baseball Carew and Gaylord Perry Seaver, Garvey, Schmidt and Vita Blue If Cooperstown is calling, it's no fluke They'll be with Willie Mickey and the Duke Say hey, say hey, say hey I'm talking with